You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, we will be continuing our conversation about teenagers and sex. This episode is for mature audiences, so if you have your children around, you might want to hit pause and listen to it when you're alone. So I've heard statistics that fewer teens are actually having sexual intercourse, uh, less than right. maybe our our generation was. Um, we've talked a little bit about dating and how the statistics have have gone down, uh, the number of kids who are dating. So they're finding different ways to be sexual, like sexting or pornography. And are you seeing a lot of this in your practice? And what do you have to say about that? Oh, yeah. You know, the reason we're not celebrating those statistics is uh, because uh, the the reasons why our teenagers are not as sexually active is, is not what we were hoping for. Um, the reasons for less sexual uh, interaction is the rise in pornography, like you mentioned, the significant reduction in just relationship. Um, and, you know, like, for example, dating patterns, like you go on a date and you have a, you know, this is my significant other. Uh, currently, essentially, seniors in high school dating patterns, frequency and all that is about the same as it was for eighth graders uh, mm-hmm. back in the 70s. So the 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 structure of relationship, the desire to pursue something that uh, appears romantic is really fading. So you have less overall sexual interaction, but you also have weirder sexual interaction, kind of hooking up, which is the vaguest term ever that, Mm -hmm. you know, she and I hooked up means we either kissed or we had sex and they leave it all vague. But it happens in uh, among people who are not actually romantically involved. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that most of the time you were struggling because you really were in love with this girl or in love with your boyfriend or you're trying not to be too sexual. Now uh, it can be uh, we were friends and we spent a lot of time together and it was two in the morning and I don't know what happened, but and then they had some sexual interaction that they didn't really address or talk about and they're still friends months later. And I'm hearing these stories. I'm going, Dude, what what was that? And you're like, I, I don't know. It's 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 a weird drop in uh, sexual interaction that really isn't. It's even worse than really. I think if you're struggling to uh, deal with your romantic love for each other, uh, that's at least closer on the path that sexual intimacy is about. But it's happening in just weird ways. And of course, pornography is not intimacy at all. Uh, and so it, it, it is a, a statistic that on the surface we should be celebrating, but we're, we're kind of not super happy about it. There seems to be no real sense of boundaries or intentionality about the kids and their their sexuality. In talking to my kids, one of them said that she felt like a lot of her friends were just wanting to get it over with, that it was sort of like a first kiss where you sort of dread it. Wow. And you just want it to be behind you because you don't want to worry about it anymore. And um, and the thought was it'll happen at the right time. There's no intentionality like I'm going to wait. Even I'm going to wait until I'm really in love. That wasn't right. even really common anymore that people were saying, you know, it'll happen at the right time. It'll it, I just want to get it over with. So that, I just so wanna, sad. That's, that's that sounds like a colonoscopy. Yeah, maybe we've maybe we've cheapened the idea of sex 
to so, to so little that it isn't something to anticipate with great um, excitement, that it's not something joyful, you know, and maybe they don't see that right. modeled before them with their parents or anything else that they don't see how precious and wonderful it really can be. Well, that's okay. I forgot about this. Back when you were talking about the true love weights, that's when we kind of got into some trouble is that one of the reactions to the sexual revolution was to um, then turn around and answer this fictional, if you just uh, do it when you want to and you know love the one you're with, uh, that sex will be great. For a while, the church answered, no, 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 waiting until you're married is the guaranteed best sex you'll ever have. And that's part of what the True Love Waits deal was, was basically repackaging this promise of your own personal great sex life. And, um, and I, you know, as a marriage therapist, as part of what I do, I've said many times, I feel like a repairman that people bring back their cars, these marriages that aren't working, you know, Hey, I, I did what I was told. I, I was virgin when I married and I'm not having the greatest sex of my whole life. What uh, I got a lemon here. And, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, if you look at the manual, it says there is no promise that sex is all about your fulfillment. I hate to bring that part up. So I think that um, one of the big differences is that it's not so much a cheapening of sex as it is we're, we're talking, even in good ways, to our teenagers about sex in an individual way, about your behavior, what you're going to do, are you going to be pure, without really consistently talking about it in the right context, are you going to get married do you think you would marry her? Um, what do you think about your marriage? A lot of teenagers squirm when you talk to them about marriage. Well, mm -hmm. that's where sex goes. And uh, I do worry that we actually are kind of happy about this fictional young adult kid of ours that, you know, he's 25, 27. He's dating this same girl for five years, but he's working real hard and we're proud of him. And even now parents are, you know, they feel weird to pressure him why are you not marrying this girl? And I, I think that's part of the difficulty that, you know, Christian understanding of of sexual intimacy is that it where it goes is in marriage. So we can't do both. You can't talk about sex as a personal goal of doing it right and and also not talk about when will you uh, actually put your life into the right context where you're getting married. We don't encourage our kids to get married. Does that sound weird that I'm telling you that? Do I sound like an old dude? No, I no, agree. It makes sense. I think that teenagers think that during during their span of being a teenager that sex is for fun. Mm -hmm. But then once you get married, it's only to have babies. That's like right. It becomes like a chore. And so I feel like they've got the wrong idea of it. And you're like, no, 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 no. Teenage sex is terrible, but when you get married, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you can do it all the time. You know, yes, you you will have babies, but like you can there's it's not, you know, like, oh, you have three children, so you've done it three times. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. not, that's not how it works. That's right. And it is. Yeah. It is. And, and, and even married couples, we take the rhythms of what we expect from sex from non-married sexual intimacy. For example, mm -hmm. you know, the best married sex is scheduled sex. Well, a lot of married people don't know that. They mm -hmm. still try to have a sexual relationship in their marriage that's this smoldering, I just met you kind of fake, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that you know, real sexual talk among married people is, wow, it's Tuesday. All right. I mean, that's that's <laughs> the signal. You, you already mm -hmm. know each other, 
But right. we don't know that. And um, and so people actually, especially boys, are under the impression that um, you, you need to go ahead and get out there and get the fun sex as much as you can, and then you'll settle down to the not fun sex. And it is, in fact, the opposite. It is harmful. And again, mm-hmm. especially for young women, that is not what they want. I can't tell you how many girls, especially college girls, that I've just said, well, when are you going to get what you want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's intimacy. I mean, they want exactly. consistency. They want security, mm-hmm. knowing that this man will be by their side forever, That's you know, right. until until death do us part. And I think if we're honest about it with our with our kids and say, you know, what you think you want is this. But in reality, it leads to a lot of things that you really yes. don't. Want. And, and, and by the way, that goes better if you say, you know, I remember thinking that. I mean, mm-hmm. I really that I tell you know, like it's not a me telling you. It's mm-hmm. again adult to adult that oh I know I know remember the oh gosh yes when well, the way we talked about it when I was your age well and and talk about the culture that said the same lie even when we were there mm-hmm. uh, and and how even if you can recognize that there's something attractive sounding about it you know you don't need to act like I've never heard that it's a lot of fun or whatever yeah you, you, of course you've heard that. Uh, it doesn't work out. And there are lots of secular sources, by the way, to back up that, you know, what we've learned from Scripture isn't a religious teaching. It's a manual about actual human behavior. So, for example, you know, Christians know that pornography is not healthy sexual behavior. Well, um, that's not something that um, is really fun, but you're not supposed to. You can go to a website called yourbrainonporn.org. I don't remember and it's a completely secular site about people who are struggling to get off of the, um, the, the really addiction of pornography and all the problems that it causes because, again, human behavior, that's not proper sexual intimacy. You can certainly talk to girls about what they, they really know in their heart that's not what they want. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's plenty of ways to make it much more um, kind of down-to-earth about your real experience, not just that the Bible says we're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Right. Both. And to not make them feel shame about it. Like that's how God that's created right. us to be attracted to the opposite sex. That's and, right. and yeah, so I don't want them to feel shame. I want them to be equipped. I want them to know the whys behind it and what the Lord says about it. And, um, I just want to answer all those questions and to set the stage for that. So Dr. Ken, let's say that we've already had these conversations with our kids and it's an ongoing conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so we've had these conversations and let's talk about our teenagers being alone. What are some limits that would be good for us to set for our teens? Um, let's move into that. So okay. we conversations are done. Let's talk about action. Okay. So, that's uh, where you get it's important that you try your best to come from a position, as I mentioned, that here are my limits for you mm-hmm. about uh, basically intimacy with someone of the opposite sex. And the reason is because sex burns all of us, not right. uh, I'm an out of touch, very pure adult and you uh, need to learn to be like me. So th- when you're in that context, then I'm a big believer in rules that are pretty clear. No, you cannot be alone in your bedroom with uh, someone of your opposite. Well, we're just friends. I know it, but it's a girl and you're a guy. So no, you can't be left alone in a house uh, with someone of the opposite sex without parents there. Um, 
And again, this is definitely before dating age, 16, obviously. It's easy to do that. After 16, when, you know, again, I recommend that I told my kids, look, you're free to date if you want. I don't recommend it, but you're old enough. That needs to be something you're giving the freedom to do. Then you're also at that point, you need to recognize that the real kind of controller of sexual behavior is your teenager. Uh, If he or she really wants to go and have sexual intimacy with someone uh, when they're especially by dating age, able to get in a car and go somewhere, that's not something you can make sure doesn't happen. So you, your message is uh, these limits are us trying to make it easier for you to not fall into comfortable, you know, basically where it's too much opportunity. But right. I recognize that we can't make you not do this. I totally get that. That's up to you. But I just don't want to make it easy for you. So if you want your boyfriend to come over, uh, we'll need to be here. Um, and uh, if we know that you've gone over to his house when his parents aren't there. And again, you probably could do it. We wouldn't know. But if we do find out, there will be some consequence. Uh, and let's then talk about why are you wanting to do that? You know what I mean? So you want to be real clear about the limits, but also real clear that this isn't going to make you do it. Again, like anything else, you're not a policeman, you're a judge. So you'll let them know this is what the rule is. But you stick with because sexual uh, desire is a fire that kind of can burn up lots of people including adults. So this is why we had these limits. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's change gears just a little bit. So what happens when you have pretty concrete evidence that your child is, uh, or your teen, not your child, is having Good. sex, yep. um, and you either find a condom or your daughter comes to you and says, I'd like to be on birth control, or you catch them in the act. How do you not freak out? What do you say? <laughs> um you know, there are a lot of ways that you no longer have control. <laughs> so what do you say in that situation? All right. Well, catching them in the act is their fault. That's just stupid uh, planning on their fault. So you, you have happens. my permission. It happens. Oh, oh, we do. I, we do have your permission. Hold on. I can tell you stories. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. You, I can't get, I can't not give you permission. You'll flip out. Uh, oh, yeah. I've got so many stories. Oh, my goodness. The dad who never even knew this guy, this kid's mm. telling me. So her dad comes in and I'm like, oh, hi. And at two in the morning, you know, he's so when you have obvious knowledge that sexual intercourse is going on, uh, I think that's a really important point that of really recognition. What is your job here? And again, I got to remind you, you cannot police this. You Mm -hmm. cannot make sure it doesn't happen. So but at the same time, you can reinforce it's perfectly reasonable that if, you know, I come home and find that you guys are in bed, then there, you know, you'll have a period of some grounding. You're, you know, you're grounded for two weeks and I take your phone. You can do that, but be careful that that's not really the main um, influencer. It's, it's definitely something that lets them know. uh, I had already let you know, this is not allowed and you blew that off. And so there's a certain consequence to it. But what really needs to happen is how you talk with that teenager. So for girls, for example, the most important buffer to her sexual behavior is a relationship with her father. And so you want to try to encourage that as much as you can. But especially if you're a Christian household, I always take that as an opportunity to really, I don't know, maybe on purpose, be a little bit provoking with, okay, no, I mean, I didn't know you were having sex, but I just surprised. I thought you were a Christian. What? No, I mean, I'm just saying that, um, you know, I don't, if you're okay with that, that's not 
obedient to Jesus. Now, that's strong. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian. But I would take it back to what what is your belief about sexual intimacy? And if you've got a kid that isn't very, you know, as far as you can tell, their faith isn't a thing, uh, then that's a much bigger issue than just sexual behavior. So I think it, you know, I'm kind of getting off track here, but it has everything to do with directing your conversations with them. Outside of that, I don't, um, I think there's there's good reason to consult with a therapist, uh, someone that is trusting that both the teenager and you trust uh, circumstances of do I get, does she get on the pill? Uh, there's definitely some circumstances that's uh, smart, uh, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's not. You don't what you want to avoid is signaling to your teenager that it's okay. I, I can think of a kid who uh, whose dad was all about being hip and um, I think his 16th birthday he gave him a big box of condoms and told him that, you know, he doesn't think it's a good idea for him to have sex. Well, he hadn't had sex until he got that box. And it was like a signal of go ahead. So you don't want to do that, obviously. But at the same time, uh, you can't uh, ensure if you have reason to believe that this teenager has no does not agree with that standard and is going to be pursuing it, uh, then you can only pursue a, a wise course of limiting what you can while talking uh, to this teenager, this young adult, about behavior you know is still going on. And that might in, include um, you know, birth control. There's not a hard and fast rule about that. Mm-hmm. What about the other parent? Let's say that either you suspect or you caught your teenager having sex. Do you bring that up to the other teenager's parent? Yeah, you know, I that, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule with that either. The big risk in doing that is that you don't want to lose track of the real issue of whatever's happening sexually. It's about your teenager's choices. And this is true for girls as well. Sometimes parents will say, you know, I'm particularly upset that, you know, this boyfriend of my daughter's knew that we didn't allow her to have sex. Dude, your your daughter's <laughs> not eight. You know, he didn't yeah. make. So this is about you and your kid. So uh, that's your primary However, secondarily, if you know the parents, so forth, uh, you know, depending upon your relationship with the parents of this other kid, it might be appropriate that you'd need to talk with them. Uh, if so, as you can guess, your first stop is to tell your teenager, hey, I- I'm, I'm going to need to call his mom. Uh, you would never do it without telling the teenager. Uh, and I would tell them with an almost apologetic, I know, I'm really sorry, it's your private business, I get that, but you know, she and I are friends or, or I really feel like that, you know, his parents need to know this. You, you can make that decision, but, um, I, I would definitely do it up front. Uh, even give your teenager a chance to, do you want to tell, you know, you want to tell your boyfriend or your girlfriend that I'm going to call so he can tell his parents something like that. You can do that. Uh, but that's a kind of an individual choice. Uh, I would definitely remind you though, that's not your first line of here's the first step we did. We called his or her parent. No, that's not uh, your first most important thing to do. It could be part of your overall package and response, but it's not the first thing. Okay, Dr. Kim, let's take it one step further because I know that there are parents out there. I know that there are Christian parents out there whose teenager has gotten pregnant or gotten their girlfriend pregnant. What do we do then? Yeah, well, the the first thing there is there's a new child coming. This right. is a person. Mm-hmm. This is so great. So never forget that the circumstances of this 
while obviously, um, you know, of great trauma and concern right now, this is a person God is bringing in. So in 10 years, this is going to be your grandchild or your, right. uh, you know, so um, you it, it really changes a lot of things um, in, in respect and love and appreciation for this new person that's coming. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, then, you know, that's no longer really about sex uh, and our uh, trying to best serve our kids sexually. That's about loving your your child and your soon to be grandchild. And that that's definitely a, a counselor involvement kind of thing, mm-hmm. because there's just so many layers. A lot of Christian parents feel that prideful guilt of this reflects badly on me as a parent. And, you know, it doesn't. These are young adults. They make their own choices, but that's easier said than done. Uh, and, you know, you struggle with that, um, uh, putting a big red letter A on this young adult's uh, chest that like, oh, no, you're a, a sexual fornicator. You're a, uh, and, and that's not our belief. That's not our faith. This has now happened. There's now pregnancy and you deal with that. So I, I think that's sort of um, more like how do you not mix that up with the whole issue of sex, uh, that, that that's not uh, the big failure as a parent, that that's about how to love your kid through uh, a really important time that either your daughter's going through or even more complicated, your son and his maybe not even girlfriend, but mm-hmm. there's a new person. There's a, And babies are so cute. I don't get out of here. They're so tiny and it's so great. Well, and I think for a lot of parents, when they get the news that their child is the father or going to be a mother of a baby, um, there's a lot of grief that comes there with the parent because a parent thinks, oh, man, I had dreams of you going to college or finishing your education. I had dreams of you becoming a doctor. I had dreams of you having, you know, a a wedding and all these things before all of this happened, you know, and so for a parent, there's some grief that needs to be acknowledged there, as well as just the practicalities of, okay, now we have a teen that's pregnant, looking at their options, are they looking at adoption, you know, are they looking at um, keeping the baby, all the things that go into that. And I know that we very specifically um, have left out the, the option of abortion here. And I'm, You know, just because for me, when I was a teenager, I I knew that the consequence of having sex was having a baby because I didn't consider abortion an option at all for me. So right, right, yeah. And Orthodox Christianity has always held that belief. So, um, but you know, I think you're exactly right that the appropriate grieving of the track that 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 this kid is not going to be on that you had hoped for, but you just be sure that you're grieving with your teenager about that. Yes, um, they're experiencing not it too. Alone. That's right. That's yeah, right. for sure. Well, but we've taken a dark that, turn, haven't we? <laughs> but I want to include, I want to include everyone. You know, Dr. Ken, mm. that's what this podcast is about. It's true. It's about answering the questions that real parents of teens are thinking and facing and walking through. And I just want to yeah. equip, equip them. You know that, um, with a good Christian podcast, that this is where we talk about these things. Well, and and I don't think it's. I don't see us doing an entire podcast on t- pregnant teens. So mm-hmm. it is, it is, does relate to that. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys. This morning has been full of questions and answers that I needed to hear. And I appreciate you guys both and your endless um, wisdom on some of these topics that 
every teen parent kind of navigates through and struggles with. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com.